Good afternoon, everyone. My name is John, and I have the privilege of preaching God's word for us together. At this time, um, before we begin, I'd like to make two important notes. First, the sermon notes and the manuscript are available on our website, jakarta.hmcc.net, to help you follow along. And second, let's put aside any distractions as best as we can so that we can give of our hearts and our attention to God's word today. We usually preach expositional sermons where the sermon is based on one passage of scripture, but currently we're in the middle of a brief topical sermon series where we look at one topic through various passages from the Bible. The sermon series that we're in is called Bringing Good News, and the important topic is on evangelism. Last week, we looked at what our motivation in evangelism is. And so if you have missed it, I encourage you to uh, listen to it on, on our website or on Spotify. But our motivations for evangelism as a review is, is our personal experience of the gospel. As we experience the gospel, we're able to share it with others. Second motivation was that our delight is obeying Christ. Third, our love, was for the, our, our love for the lost that comes from Christ and his compassion. And ultimately, our ultimate motivation is to worship God, to evangelize as an expression of worship, and to invite others along to worship our God. Today, we'll cover the second part in this series called Our Confidence. So, <clears throat> motivation is important as it gets us started in doing the good things that we know we ought to do. We understand the why and we have the desire to follow through. But confidence is also important because confidence is what helps us to not give up and to not back down when we face difficulties in the task or the responsibility at hand. With confidence, we feel strong. We feel a sense of joy and purpose in what we do and as we carry out our responsibilities. But when we lack confidence, even in the things that we normally and commonly regularly do, it seems like suddenly all the strength leaves us. Our joy is taken away, and we even lose the sense of purpose uh, in what we do. Um, <clears throat> For me, when I lack confidence in being a father, I'm a father, been a father for a few years now, every day that's what I do. But when I lose, when I lose confidence, lack confidence, the joy of being a father becomes such a burden to me. I begin to worry about if I am negatively impacting my children and those fears creep in. In my work as a pastor, when I lose confidence, suddenly I feel paralyzed in the decisions that I regularly make even in writing sermons, and even speaking in front of people. But when we lack confidence, it also exposes what we have placed our hope and our trust in. And so in our efforts, we can try to muster up confidence from our own abilities or our past accomplishments. But this is really just the world's way, not the best way, the, world, the world's way of building up self-confidence that just doesn't work. It's an approach that it's famously known as fake it till you make it. It's just a way to look like we are confident. It's just a way to try to assert ourselves, to act like we are confident. But we need a confidence that is real and lasting, especially in our evangelism. And so often, it's the various ways that we lack confidence, lose confidence, that makes us back down, give up as soon as evangelism gets difficult. This is why it is important to talk about our confidence in our approach and in our efforts to bring the good news of Jesus Christ to others. Our source of confidence as believers is, 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 must be in Christ, and it must not be from ourselves. It must not be in our own abilities. 
our own skills, our strategies, or even in the results of our efforts to evangelize. We must not try to assert self-confidence, but rather seek the source of our confidence in God. All the more, when we lack confidence in our personal evangelism, we must look to him. We must look to God because our true confidence is from God because it is he, the one who desires to save people, who is mighty and powerful and able to save many, and he will, who will sovereignly use us, even in our inadequacies, to save people through our faithful evangelism. So the one thing for us today is this. Bring the good news of Christ confidently, trusting that our God will save many. Bring the good news of Christ to others confidently, trusting that our God will save many. We'll look at three ways that Christians often lose confidence in our evangelism. And then I'll go ahead and address them with the encouraging, confidence-building source in God's Word. First, we'll look at insecurity, when we feel I'm not sure what to say. Second, risk, when we feel that I might lose this relationship. And third, failure, when we feel like I might mess up their salvation. Before I continue, could you just bow your heads with me one more time as I lift up um, this time, uh, as I pray for the preaching of God's word. Heavenly Father, we thank you for again for your word that guides us in all areas of our lives. Lord, through your word, you express your heart to us, and in it we find our greatest source of confidence in living for you. We confess that in our evangelism, we often feel insecure, especially as we are, as it takes us so much to motivate us to evangelize. And then when we do, we often feel insecure. We worry about the risk and we fear failure. And we are left unconfident in the glorious good news of Jesus Christ. So we pray that and we ask that you will humble us, lead us, Holy Spirit, to depend upon you, direct our hearts to seek confidence in you and you alone, especially in this important task that you have given to us, this responsibility to evangelize and to make you known. So speak to us, Lord, through your word. Speak to our need. Make us confident in you to carry out faithfully our responsibility to live for you and to make you known. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the first way we often lose confidence is insecurity. And we think to ourselves, you know, overwhelmed with this thought that I'm not sure what to say. Our insecurities can quickly make us lose confidence as we share the gospel. But we gain confidence in the gospel itself, which is God's powerful, life-giving word, his words that we use in evangelism. To understand the source of confidence, we first have to revisit the definition of evangelism to make sure we understand why speaking is so important. Remember that the word evangel in evangelism refers to good news. And the nature of good news is that it's shared with others. So that's where we have the concept of evangelism. If we're talking about any kind of good news, people naturally evangelize about the good things that they have experienced in their lives. But biblical evangelism refers to the best good news we could ever know. And it's from Scripture. It's from God's Word. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. So again, what is evangelism? It is proclaiming the gospel to persuade others to put their trust in Jesus Christ. Proclaiming the gospel to persuade others 
to put their trust in Jesus Christ. And so even from this definition, we can see clearly that the activity of evangelism is communication. Words are absolutely necessary to proclaim the gospel. But it's not just about presenting information. The goal in evangelism is to convince people to not reject the gospel, but instead to respond to the gospel with repentance and faith. So words are necessary to present the gospel. Even more words are necessary to persuade people to put their trust in Jesus. It requires lots of words, often over multiple conversations and multiple meetings with people to proclaim the gospel to them and persuade them to put their trust in Jesus. So we have to make sure that our lack of confidence here doesn't make us turn evangelism into something else. You may have heard the popular quote about evangelism that suggests the opposite of what evangelism really is. The quote goes like this. Preach the gospel at all times. Use words if necessary. Again, this is the wrong view of evangelism. But it sounds so catchy. It sounds thought-provoking and deep. What does this mean? Well, it means not what it should. Because to preach the gospel, words are absolutely necessary. It's a wrong understanding of evangelism that suggests that somehow the gospel could be communicated by the good works that we do rather than the good news we speak. It's tempting to think this way, and I've been tempted to think this way, because we lack the confidence in speaking, not knowing exactly what we should say, unsure of how to bring up the gospel in our conversations. But I've never experienced, and I've never heard anyone experience this, how people came to believe in Jesus only by someone being really nice to them. I've helped people in need. I smiled really big to them. I've served them with my time and energy uh, for those who are yet to believe in Jesus Christ. But they usually just respond with thank you. No one has ever responded to my good works, to my smile, to my service, saying that, that, that they now have a clear understanding of who Jesus is and what he did. Please don't misunderstand me. There is a proper place for good works in our witness to other people. I'm not saying that we could somehow speak the gospel and then it's okay to be rude and arrogant in our interactions with them. Scripture says that our good works adorn the gospel, meaning that we show people our faith through the good works that we do. In this way, our good works will be a visible demonstration of our faith. But the reality remains that we must speak in order to proclaim. We must speak in order to persuade we must use words, so we should never replace our evangelism with good works, but understand that they do go together in our Christian witness. Evangelism clearly requires communication, and words are absolutely necessary. So, to revise this quote, it should say this, preach the gospel at all times, and always use words. And so with this proper understanding of evangelism and how communication is, and, and speaking is such an integral part, we can now address why we feel insecure about what to say. A perfect example of such insecurity when speaking to others about God is Moses in Scripture. Ironically, Moses was the greatest prophet in the Old Testament. God spoke with Moses face to face as one would speak to his friend. And then Moses would, uh, was responsible to speak these words from God to people. 
But look at Moses' response when God first called him in the task of speaking God's words on his behalf. This is what he said in Exodus chapter 4. But Moses said to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. But he said, Oh, my Lord, please send someone else. Poor Moses. In his insecurity, he was overwhelmed by his own inabilities. He couldn't get over the fact that he was not eloquent or a good enough speaker to do what God was telling him to do, to speak the words God was telling him to speak. And here we see God making a very compelling case to help Moses be confident. But in this moment, Moses could not take his eyes off of himself to fix his eyes on the Lord. In the same way, we find ourselves lacking confidence, insecure in our evangelism, even when God says to us, Who has made your mouth? I will be with your mouth, and I have taught you what you shall say. In God's word, he makes it clear to us what the gospel is. And I understand that we have that desire that in our evangelism, and when we talk about God, we want to make sure what we say is true and what we say is clear. I know we definitely don't want to say the wrong things, and we don't want to confuse people about, uh, more about who Jesus is and what he has done for us. But when we get caught up in our insecurities, this is how we end up feeling the, the burden of pressure to communicate the gospel in commu when communicating the gospel. We get caught up thinking, I'm not sure what to say. And we take our eyes off of our creator God. We take our eyes off of our God who has given our mouths, who have redeemed our lives, who has, who's, who's been teaching us through his word the very words we should speak when we proclaim the gospel and we persuade people to believe. For all of God's word is a display of his good work, of, of his work of salvation in our lives and calling us to trust in him. And so to gain confidence in evangelism, when we are not sure what to say, we must remember that the words we use in our personal evangelism are not our own words, but God's word that he has given to us. And we've set our eyes on the Lord. We can acknowledge our insecurities still with a confidence in God. This interesting dynamic we see in Scripture, in the Apostle Paul, he seems that he was able to remain supernaturally confident in all of his efforts in evangelism. Even when people were not believing, even when people were persecuting him, he still did not shrink back. He did not give up. He did not back out from proclaiming the gospel and teaching people about God. Where could his confidence come from? If it were not from himself, his, his abilities, or even the results of his evangelism. Well, first he says in Romans chapter 1 this. Famously he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Here we see Paul's confidence how he is unshaken, unashamed. Whatever happens to him, whatever it comes his way, he believes the gospel is the power of God for salvation. But see what he also says in 1 Corinthians 
2. Chapter 2. And I, when I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to do nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of man, but in the power of God. We need to make sure we understand this. On one hand, Paul declares he is not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God. He, sh- he, he shows, as he remembers his source of great confidence, he declares he is not ashamed. Nothing can stop him. But just because Paul was confident this way in the gospel doesn't mean that he was invincible, even though he was an apostle, even though he was a prolific evangelist who could not be stopped from declaring, proclaiming and, and the gospel and persuading people. It says here, he preached the gospel in weakness, in fear, and much trembling. It shows he trusted in God's power in the gospel as he accepted and acknowledged his insecurities and his inabilities. And when he did, all the more God's power could be demonstrated in speaking the message of this gospel with boldness and confidence. This was how he was confident in the power of God and the gospel itself, in the midst of his insecurities, his inabilities. So how can we be confident in our personal evangelism? Simply by acknowledging our insecurities as we trust in the power of God, in the gospel, to save everyone who believes. In those moments when we feel those butterflies in our stomach, our throat tightening and a nervous sweat coming on, as we're trying to change the topic of conversation to spiritual things, we must remind ourselves, remember that when we speak the gospel, the most powerful words to ever come out of our mouths will be proclaimed. The most powerful words will come out of our weak and trembling mouths if we are faithful to speak the good news of Jesus Christ. To give you a heads up, it's not going to get easier the more that we do it. Personally, no matter how many times I preach a sermon on Sundays or try to share the gospel in personal evangelism, it's always my insecurities that makes me lose confidence. So the joy, the strength, the purpose gets all lost. But in those moments, I'll share with you what I do. It's a regular practice for me that just before I speak, I confess my insecurities to the Lord. I confess my lack of faith that God can use me despite my inabilities. And then I try my best to fight the temptation to not to please man when I speak, but rather please God who sees my heart. I pray and I ask God to remind me that I am speaking God's powerful, life-giving word. In fact, it's his word that is speaking through me. And though in weakness, in fear, in trembling, I can be confidently resolved again to know nothing but Christ and him crucified. And I find confidence in the gospel, even in my weakness. In this area of learning and gaining confidence, um, I have a lot to learn from my daughter, actually. So as parents, we are evangelizing our children because they are unbelievers that we live with. We see them every day. And, 
And I need to learn from my daughter, Abby, how to be confident in what we have learned from God's Word. We're teaching Abigail as we're reading the Bible with her, and one truth seems to stand out for her. We talked about how Jesus takes away our punishment for the wrong things that we we do as he died on the cross. And it seems that this truth, for some reason, really speaks to her. I think maybe because she hates being punished. She hates doing the wrong thing. And so this, this, this concept that Jesus, there's this person sent by God who takes away our punishment, I think really captivates her. And when she seems to have grasped this truth, even though it may be just a glimpse of understanding, she just confidently declares it. We have a lot of pictures of crosses on our walls around the, around the house. But not only that, she finds the highest point that she can stand on. If it's on top of a chair, on top of the table, it's dangerous, but we just let her because she's singing, not worried about the key, not worried about the melody. She's making up a song, singing, Jesus takes away our punishment. And when she's done with that song, she comes down and she tells us how she wants to tell others that Jesus takes away our punishment. It's humbling that it's not complicated, even for this child. And we are praying that she grows up to be a confident disciple in Christ and a faithful evangelist for him, that she will never lose that confidence. And so as each believer in this room goes out in God's power to evangelize, remember we are speaking God's life-giving words. What we learn from Scripture, those are the very things God is asking us to go and share with others. So when there's an opportunity to speak about God, to speak about what you're learning in God's word, to speak the gospel, be ready. Be ready knowing that your insecurities will quickly rise up and your mind will quickly go to your inabilities. But also be confident in the power of God, in the gospel that you're about to speak. And then may you go forth and confidently proclaim and speak those words of the gospel to those who have yet to experience God's saving power for themselves. Practically, what can help is this. I encourage you to practice speaking the gospel, preaching it to yourself daily. As you wake up in the morning, remember why God has given you another day to live, full of his new mercies, and preach the gospel to yourself. As you go through your busy day and you come across a problem, remember your weaknesses. As you come across, and as you come across a conflict, remember your sinfulness and your need for God and preach the gospel to yourself. And as you end your day, thank God for providing you with the strength to love and live for him and preach the gospel to yourself. I realize preaching the gospel to myself constantly makes me a little bit more confident to uh, to preach the gospel to someone else when God gives those opportunities. As I am reminding myself of the hope I have in Christ for the forgiveness of my sins, I am more confident in the gospel as it's speaking powerfully to me throughout the day, to then go forth and speak it to others. So that's the first way we lack confidence. It's in our insecurities. But we can gain confidence to speak the gospel as we trust in the life-giving power of God's word. The next way we lose confidence often is this, is risk. Thinking to ourselves, I might lose this relationship. We lose confidence this way in evangelism when we think about how it might disrupt an existing relationship that we already have. But we can gain confidence in the reality 
that the gospel can deepen our relationships as we hope that they become fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. In this way, we'll see that it's a greater risk for them to never hear the gospel than for us to lose that friendship. Uh, let me explain. Our relationships are so important to us. And I know it's a very precious and delicate thing. And so the potential of losing a relationship should make us worried. We understand that relationships can be fragile, and we fear doing something others don't like. And so therefore, we won't take that risk of doing something that makes them uncomfortable or even offends them. And because we live in a very religious context, the thought of trying to have a spiritual conversation with people from a different religion, it feels like it's one of those things we should not do, naturally. And so we decide to wait until they ask us first. And then maybe we could have a spiritual conversation. And after all, we don't want the unbelievers that we know to lose the opportunity of having a Christian witness, a Christian friend, or, or a colleague in their lives. So we might feel that, again, it's not a risk worth taking. But to address this worry, we need to realize what the gospel actually does and what it can do in a relationship. As the gospel has the power to save us from our sins, the gospel has the power to bring people together in a true relationship marked by true peace, unlike anything else in this world. It says in Ephesians chapter 2, what Christ accomplished not only in our relationship with God, but in our relationship with one another. It says this, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. And later he says, it says, And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we, have both access, uh, we, we both have access as one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Before we somehow convince ourselves that having spiritual conversations can somehow worsen relationships or make us lose relationships, we need to consider this and remember the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Because Jesus brings peace to us in the places of our hostility. First, with God. Jesus died on the cross for the sins of the world, spilling his blood in our place. And in doing that, he removed the hostility that we have with a holy God. We could be in a living, true relationship with him. But not only that, Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection speaks to how he redeems our relationships with one another. Spilling his blood for us, dying on the cross for our sins, he removed the hostility that, we, that people have with each other. Now, through the gospel he preached to, uh, that he preached to us, we now, we as both have access to God. No longer strangers, but fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. This is why we cherish one another in our spiritual family. And before we talk about, more about how it applies in evangelism, this is how we grow when we think about our church. We, this is how we grow in our relationships with one another. In the unity that Christ has established, we learn to speak the truth to one another. The very thing that we want to do to those who are lost, we continue to practice with fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. We speak the truth to one another. In our love for each other, we speak the truth of the gospel. In our love for one another, we speak the truth of our sinfulness. We speak the truth of our salvation in our love for one another. 
And as we're working on this, trying to make membership meaningful, in a, more and more meaningful in our church, we believe that the gospel is true and that only the gospel has the power to bring sinners together. So if that's the case with our relationship with each other, then we have true hope that we can have such relationships with unbelievers in our lives whom we care for and love. This is why we want to evangelize and proclaim the truths of the gospel, knowing that the truth of Jesus will set them free from their sin. It will set them free from God's wrath, removing the hostility they have with them. It will set them free from living in darkness and come into the marvelous light together with us. And so the worry that we might risk our relationship, all of that fades when we realize with hope that spiritual conversations, as we bring in the truths of Jesus, will set them free in our current relationships that we have, in our existing relationships. There is great hope in the potential that those relationships will be much more personal and deep and meaningful. So practically, how, do, how can we approach our relationships with the gospel? First, let's consider timing. This is often uh, uh, an issue that, we, that gets brought up. I think about this often in my various existing relationships and asking myself, when should I direct the conversation? When is it the right time for me to move from the surface to the serious? And then when is the right time to move from the serious to the spiritual in my conversations with them? On one hand, spending time to build a friendship is not wrong. It does take time for our friends to truly feel like our friends as we love them, serve them, and meet them in their needs. It's true that, our, that their ears will be open to listen to what we have to say when their hearts are touched by our love, which we know is the love and compassion of Christ flowing in us. But on the other hand, there is such a thing as taking too long. Taking too long, waiting for that perfect timing that we never, ever get to share. And to be honest, we have a lot of good enough opportunities that we pass on while waiting for that perfect opportunity to come. But realistically, no opportunity will be ideal. And even when it comes, we might, find, we might find a good way to convince ourselves that the situation is still not yet perfect enough. In such moments, our worry, our sin, and even Satan will whisper to us, not now. I heard one pastor share a story about how in his personal evangelism, finally was able to bring himself <clears throat> to share the gospel to his friend. He was waiting to build greater trust in their friendship, waiting to talk about more serious matters until a year or so passed by. But when he finally shared the gospel with his friend, sharing to him how important it was for his friend to know Jesus personally, that Jesus died in his place for his sins, and if he would only believe, he would be saved and live in eternity with God. This is how the friend responded after thanking him for sharing. He asked him, if this was so important for you, why did you wait so long to tell me? I'm not able to say if three months is too short or if one year is too long for your, you and your friend. You will know the condition of your friendship and your relationship better than anyone else. But in wisdom, I encourage you, I charge you, consider the urgency of the matter at hand. Yes, Jesus is patient. But 
matter of, uh, to bring everyone into salvation. But salvation is also an urgent matter because we don't know when that day will be. It says this in 2 Peter chapter 3, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, talking about Jesus' return, as some understand, uh, his second coming, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. It is an urgent matter that we see people in our lives whom we love and care for, that they hear the gospel, that they understand that they deserve God's wrath for their sins and to be persuaded to believe in Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins and to live as his disciples until Jesus returns. So as you think about the appropriate timing, as you think about the appropriate timing, building friendships is great, but not waiting too long as the urgency of the matter is at hand. It's for their salvation. A final note here while we're on the issue of timing. Remember that we are motivated by our love for those who are still lost. And so we must evangelize lovingly. Just because salvation is an urgent matter, it does not mean, again, that we are manipulative. It does not mean we should argue or force them in making a decision to put their trust in Jesus. But it's an urgency marked with love, marked with gentleness and respect. May we be urgent then to share in the joy of heaven with them, knowing that there is great praise when in heaven when one sinner repents and believes. Along with timing, another practical issue is identification. What I mean by that is it's important to identify ourselves as Christians, as disciples of Jesus Christ, in the context of various relationships that we have. It's important to realize that not identifying ourselves while doing good works actually can hinder people from the gospel. Let me explain. One author shares a story about a man who became a Christian through an evangelistic um, uh, effort by others, but then he came to share it with his boss, and his boss, who never talked about Christianity to him, says this, quote, when he told his boss about it, his employer responded with, that's great. I am a Christian too, and I have been praying for you for years. But the new believer was disappointed. Why didn't you ever tell me you were a Christian? You are the very reason I have not been interested in Christianity all these years. How can that be, the boss wondered. I have done my very best to live the Christian life around you. That's the point, explained the employee. You live such a model life without telling me that it was Christ who made the difference. So I convinced myself that if you could live such a good and happy life without Christ, then I could too, end quote. Obviously, we're reminded again here from this story that we must absolutely live out the gospel in our lives. Our faith in the gospel must be visible in how we treat people at work, how we forgive those who have hurt us, how we use our time and our money and our abilities generously and joyfully for the benefit of others. But there is a reality here that when we wait too long to proclaim the gospel, when we don't identify ourselves as believers in Jesus Christ, engaging in spiritual conversation, we are actually putting them at a greater risk of never hearing 
the gospel, of never having a hope of salvation for the forgiveness of their sins. And I hope that we see that this is a risk that we should not take. It is not a risk worth taking. As you think about our current relationships, I also want to make an important point here about how it is possible to speak to strangers about the gospel as well. While building a friendship with a non-believer, building it upon love and trust, it usually will be preferable. The reality of life is that it is simply not possible to become friends with every non-believer that we meet. And we see this in Scripture, how Jesus had a spiritual conversation with the stranger, the woman at the well that we saw last week. The Apostle Paul did this as well. He had spiritual conversations with people even as he was just looking for a place to sit and pray. And when he went out into the public marketplaces, he, looked for, he preached the gospel to whoever happened to be there. This is often called cold evangelism or contact evangelism, but I really don't prefer labeling it this way. Because talking to strangers with the love of Christ, it's not a cold, emotionless strategy or some kind of technique or method of evangelism. But having spiritual conversations with strangers is a real way of life for any believer, any disciple of Christ, to, to truly love even the strangers in our lives. So as we go about our regular days, we can ask God and we can, for those opportunities, and we can be, be aware of those opportunities that he provides us to have, such, to have such spiritual conversations. More recently, I've had opportunities and experiences like this just from playing sports with people. That's my context where, as a pastor, I'm, I'm regularly with Christians um, and um, ministering to them, praying for them. We're talking about Jesus, how the gospel applies to our lives, as I should. But playing sports with people, it puts me in a context where I am surrounded, I'm a, I'm a minor, minority in my life again. And some of the people I play with, I've had the opportunity to discuss more serious matters, even spiritual matters, from early on. And sometimes it's, for me, it's because they ask what I do for a living, and I, right away I have to tell them I'm a pastor, and then I want to make that conversation a little bit more meaningful, and so I share why I'm a pastor, I share what my faith means to me. And it's interesting because as we have had these more serious conversations, spiritual conversations from the beginning, I've become closer friends with them, even beyond sharing with others just a shared interest for sports. And especially in Indonesia, I have learned that actually many are interested in talking about spiritual matters. It's not a strange thing. It might, if, if anything, it might be strange for someone to not talk about what they believe with others. And I've known and I've heard from others that real relationships have started with that shared interest of spiritual, a desire for spiritual truth. I'm also encouraged by church members who have tried to start meaningful spiritual conversations to strangers. They have talked with security guards and built friendships with them, drivers, restaurant owners, even as they go throughout their day revisiting those places, even as they're in a grab car, instead of choosing to just be on their headphones in that hour drive just to initiate conversation to see where God would lead them in their discussion. Some have even shared to me while they're on their holiday trips that they have tried to have engage, engage in spiritual conversation, which really challenges me because once I go on a holiday, I snap out of everything that's related to God. 
But it challenges me that evangelism never stops. God is gracious and generous in providing us opportunity after opportunity to sow the seeds of the gospel generously to people in our lives. So all the more we must be ready and willing to evangelize until Jesus returns with an urgency, a gentle urgency, even to the people whom we have just met to proclaim, and pers- proclaim the gospel and persuade them to put their trust in Jesus. As you approach evangelism with confidence in the gospel that could make a relationship, any relationship much more meaningful, a helpful tool you can use is the simple art of asking questions. Um, this is not just a technique or a practice, and if you want to learn more about it, um, I'm not going to take a deep dive into this, but I recommend reading a book by Rebecca Pippert in her book called Stay Salt. Um, she provides helpful approaches and a lots and lots of stories that helps her, uh, that, that helps help me to understand and see that evangelism truly can be an everyday, any place uh, activity. But uh, here are just some ways that we can engage and direct the conversation with people in our conversation, whether it's with our friends, existing relationships, or even with strangers. First, she says, ask interest questions and prepare such questions. As we talk with people, people we want to, we are, we are asking what are they interested in about politics, health, education, music, so on and so forth. And we're trying to discover what activities bring them joy and happiness and how they find satisfaction in these things. And from there, we can ask an opinion question and then lead to an issue question. She says, this is the hardest part, and I can testify to that. It's the hardest part from mo- to do this from moving from the surface to the serious in our conversations. But opinion questions are helpful because the fact that everybody has a belief about something, whether it's about politics, dating, marriage, family, work, even the meaning and the purpose of life, everybody will have an opinion. And so as we genuinely ask to learn about their opinions, we can ask issue questions. Issue questions pinpoint the deeper problems of society and how we can try to deal with them. Issues like relating to uh, relational conflict, to matters of justice and crime, and even life and death. And third, she says, once we are already in such a conversation, as we've asked uh, interest questions and we're discussing opinions and issues, then she encourages us saying, it's not that difficult to then ask a God question. A God question are questions that get people to consider how God and his truth makes a difference in the topic that you're talking about. While there, be, while there may be many views about God here in Indonesia, this is where in our discussions we can also share a personal testimony of how the gospel impacts real issues that we face, how it provides a solution of hope and restoration, and it will help our listeners to preview the gospel before we go ahead and share the gospel with them. So this is where preparation is helpful. She encourages us, write down a person's name as you're prayerfully considering, as God puts someone in your heart, a friendship or even a, pers- a stranger that you even meet regularly that we want to reach, reach. And then if we know that person's particular interests, also write that down. And in good preparation, write down one of each of these questions, an interest question to talk about their interests, an issue question that, uh, an inter- opinion, an issue question that relates to their interest, 
And finally, a God question to talk about how to, to, to direct the conversation, to talk about how the gospel makes an impact. And so I encourage you, let's be prepared to share the reason for our hope in Christ, even in a simple way like this. So the second way we lose confidence is our worry of risking and losing our relationships. But we gain confidence in the promise that the gospel powerfully can unite people together. And the last way we lose confidence is this, failure. We think to ourselves, I might mess up their salvation. This is another way we lose confidence because we are afraid of failure. We are afraid of making mistakes. We do have a great responsibility to teach others about God, to speak about the gospel, to speak the gospel and talk about matters of sin and salvation. But in this fear, we often forget that God is sovereign in saving those he has chosen to save. And so we gain confidence in God's sovereignty as we trust that even our mistakes in evangelism cannot hinder God's desire and his sovereign will to save others through us. To understand the reality of God's sovereignty in our evangelism, we first have to acknowledge that God alone has accomplished what is impossible for us because all of us have fallen short of God's glory and we were destined to destruction and separation from God. We were destined to head into an eternity separated from him in hell. But while we were still sinners, while we were still dead in our sins, Jesus Christ died for us and rose again. This is how God made us alive together with Christ. And we were saved by grace alone, not by our works, so that we don't boast in anything about anything in ourselves, but boast in Christ and him alone. So even in our efforts of evangelism, we don't boast in our abilities. We're not crushed by our inabilities and our insecurities. And we can never think that we could ever be powerful enough to stop God from carrying out his will. This is what it says in Ephesians 1. Blessed be God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. The fact that we were predestined to be God's children is an amazing and humbling reality. We can wonder about God's decision to save me, that he chose to save me even before he created the world, even before he formed me in my mother's womb. We can thank him that he created us and that he saved us. We rejoice that he redeemed us according to his sovereign plan and nothing got in his way. Not even our hardened, sinful, rebellious hearts could stop him. In God's power, in his sovereignty, he made a way for us to be in a relation, restored in a relationship with him and enabled us to live for his purposes. This is the gospel. This is the, that tells us of the power of God, the sovereignty of God that steals us in our confidence, that makes us confident and bold in him. For the unbelievers here, I'm glad that you're here going through this sermon on evangelism. But I hope you see that the Christian faith is not about coming to God in our strength and our abilities, trying to show God how we can perform and carry out the rules of religion. But the Christian faith, the gospel, is all about how we are weak and how God is strong. 
how we are unable and not in control, but how God is able and he is in control of our lives. And so we come in our weakness. We come to receive the power of God through the gospel, even in our sin, even in our insecurities, even in our inabilities. And by God's grace, he welcomes us. He receives us. He restores our life. He transforms us. And then he equips us with confidence to carry out his good work. I pray that this will be your journey as you continue to learn more and more about the gospel and in the Christian faith. And for the rest of us, all the more, because of God's sovereignty, we can be confident in our evangelism. To think that as we were predestined, that God has always planned for our salvation through Jesus Christ. That, he has, that, that Jesus' death on the cross, his cru- crucifixion, was not an accident, was not just something God had to, he, he, he caught him by surprise, and now he had to figure out how to fix. But he had predestined, he had ordained Jesus to come and die in our place for our sins so that we could receive the power of God in, in his resurrection to find confidence to boldly declare about him to all those in our lives. So, all, so if you trust in the sovereignty of God, in our salvation, the sovereignty of God in the crucifixion and in the resurrection. All the more, we cannot think that the results of our, of our evangelism is up to us. All the more, we know and are convinced that evangelism does not equal conversion because the work of changing hearts is God's work, his sovereign work, his powerful work. Our work, our responsibility is to simply tell others what he has done. So if you think that our failure in evangelism is people not responding to faith, we are actually giving ourselves way too much power that we do not have in saving people. And it should be liberating, freeing for us to not be crushed under the pressure and to be bold and confident that we are not sovereign, but God is. And therefore, those God chooses to save, he will save through our preaching through our persuading. If there's a lingering question here, I just want to address it before uh, we close. Some of us might be wondering, as you're thinking about predestination and God's sovereignty, we might be thinking this, if God already predestined people to be saved, why should I try to share the gospel? And I hope that all that I've said just now, if you're wondering this, answers this. Because God's sovereignty does not excuse us from our responsibility to bring good news. God in his sovereignty, he gave us the responsibility to proclaim and persuade others to put their trust in Jesus. That's how he decided to save people. That's how he ordained that our evangelism will be the very means that he uses to save people in our lives. And so we must approach our responsibility with a sense of privilege that we can be used by God to bring others to salvation. So the logic of God's sovereignty in our responsibility of evangelism works this way. We can completely trust that anyone who hears the gospel and anyone who believes in it will be saved because God, in his, by his sovereign hand, he has predestined to be so. But for people to hear the gospel, someone must preach it to them. And for someone to preach it to them, God must send someone 
to preach. And the very ones God has sent out to preach are the ones he has already saved. You and me, brother and sisters in Christ, believers in the family of God. So God's sovereignty does not excuse us from our responsibility. But all the more, God's sovereignty empowers our evangelism. God's sovereignty in saving people, then, is the only hope that we have in our evangelism, that our evangelism will bear the fruit of salvation in someone's lives, in someone's life. Only because God is sovereign can we gain confidence that our efforts in evangelism will not be in vain. This was the source of confidence for Apostle Paul. Even when he knew to be confident, even when he could depend on the Lord, when he was afraid, this is what the Lord spoke. How he spoke is encouragement to him in Acts chapter 18. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. We might feel like, well, if God spoke to us in a vision, I might have more confidence. But I'm telling you, God is speaking to you now through the words that he spoke to Paul and that's recorded for us in God's word. Here, he is saying, do not be afraid. Go on speaking. Even when we feel like there's such good reasons for us to be silent, he says to go on and speak. His promised presence is with us. His sovereign hand is with us. And that those he has chosen to save, as we preach the the word of God to them, they will believe and they will come. I'm thankful for God's sovereignty in the many ways I've tried to be faithful in my evangelism. I'm I'm thankful that ultimately people's salvation does not depend on me. Because if it did, no one would be saved. I always remember one testimony that humbles me. It was a brother from our church. As I was, uh, he shared in his testimony, he revealed to me, I don't think he meant to do this, but he revealed to me how inadequate my evangelism was to him because he says he only remembers how I just kept telling him that he is a sinner. I just, every time we met and every time we had a discussion, I just said, you're a sinner, you're a sinner, this is because of your sin. And I realized that was my immature, unwise efforts in my evangelism but somehow by God's grace in his sovereign plan God led him to believe that he is a sinner and as he learned more about the gospel in life group in our in in in, from the people in our church he came to believe and to be saved I am thankful and I'm humbled that people's salvation does not depend on me but it depends on God's sovereignty So when we feel afraid that we might mess up people's salvation, may we trust that God has many he will save in our lives and in this city. And we can trust that God's plan to save will be accomplished even through and even despite our inadequate efforts as we faithfully declare God's powerful words of the gospel to people in our lives. I just want to encourage you one way that you can really exercise this confidence, grow in this confidence, uh, and, and uh, practice putting our hope and trust in God's sovereignty is really by prayer. We can think about prayer this way, not only as a conversation with God, but also as a way to call on God to come through on his promises. In prayer, we can 
pray for people that have yet to come to know Jesus Christ. And even in, in the times where we feel like we messed up, we failed, we were not clear, we were not bold, we can say, God, come through on your promises despite my inabilities and my insecurities. And we can wait, we can pray, waiting with hope and confidence in him that as God has decided to save, predestined to save, he will save. That people's salvation doesn't depend on us. So I encourage you, continue praying for the unbelievers in our lives. I encourage you, write down those names and, 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 and faithfully pray, lifting up prayer, God, come through on your promise. I want to see this friend become my brother, my sister in Christ. And we can pray for the confidence. As we pray for confidence, we'll grow in confidence as well. As we remember his sovereignty. So I encourage you, continue to lift up and exercise, practice trusting in God's sovereignty in prayer. And so when we feel inadequate, I hope that we see that we should in our evangelism. We should feel inadequate. We should feel insecure. We should realize we have many inabilities, especially when it comes to saving people. But we should also wholly depend on God to make our evangelism fruitful and effective as he alone is mighty and sovereign and able to save. Let's continue to trust in our evangelism. Be this, let this be our confidence that God will save many in our lives. And may that be our hope as we proclaim and preach the good news to others around us. As we close, let me suggest a few ways that we can apply God's word in our lives. First, reflect in which of these ways do I find myself lacking confidence in my personal evangelism. And maybe even before this, we might need to come to grips that we are, we are not yet convinced that we should evangelize. And I encourage you to go back into the word, go back into these scriptures to see how God has saved you so that he could save others through you, through your evangelism. And then reflect why I lack confidence. Second, repent Asking ourselves, have I put my confidence in anything apart from the gospel that is powerful to save me? I pray in times of confession as God exposes to us what we put our trust in, whether it's our abilities or whether it's our accomplishments, to, to really show us and humble us that that's not going to cut it in evangelism. And so as we repent, may we return to the gospel, preach it to ourselves, and find confidence in his forgiveness and his sovereignty to continue in our evangelism. And third, recommit. Just continuing on from last week, who will I have a spiritual conversation with as I try to proclaim the gospel and persuade them to put their trust in Jesus? I really want us to, from, from this sermon series, to approach evangelism as a spiritual discipline that God has given us to grow in his grace, to grow in our faith and in our confidence that God is mighty and able to save. And so as you approach it this way, may you gain confidence. Think about, uh, will you commit to go and preach the gospel as you gain confidence in the reality that the gospel can bring relationships to become the deepest they could ever be? Will you go and engage in those spiritual conversations? As you gain confidence in God's, in God's sovereignty, will you persevere with urgency and with joy to share with your friends, family, classmates, coworkers, neighbors, and even strangers 
the good news of Jesus Christ. So I encourage you to continue on in prayer. Prayerfully consider who God is leading you to share this week and in the weeks to come. As we strive to apply God's word in our lives this week, in our evangelism, remember the one thing again. Bring the good news of Christ confidently, trusting that our God will save many. Let me pray for us, and I'll ask uh, before Pastor Eric comes up to lead us in response. Heavenly Father, I just thank you. We thank you again for your powerful word. We thank you that in your wisdom and in your sovereignty that you have first have predestined us to be saved. Lord, what a glorious truth and reality this is. That while we are still dead in our sins, Christ, you came and died for us. And God, nothing could stop you from turning this heart of stone into a heart of flesh beating for you with passion and love for you, to live for you, and to make you known. And so, Lord, I pray that as we revisit these ways, how we can be confident in the Lord, in the power of your word, in the gospel, in the beauty of how we can transform relationships, and even in your sovereignty as you call us to go and share, may we be confident that you will be working in in people's lives as we share the gospel. May we depend upon you even in the midst of our midst of our fears, our worries, our insecurities, and help us to be faithful that even from our weak, fearful, trembling mouths, we'll be able to proclaim the most powerful words to ever leave our mouths, Lord. May we declare it boldly as we should. Give us the words in your, in your gospel. Give us clarity in our speech. And, may we, and give us the privilege to see many more come to salvation in hope in Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord. We love you. We trust in you. And we probably sing this in Jesus' name. Amen. Can we all stand, if you're able, as we respond to God's word together?